Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup, episode 70 for the week ending Monday, August 15th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu. Thanks for listening in. Later on in today's episode, I'll be chatting with Brendan Horan. Now, he's an executive vice president at Mix Telematics, a fleet and mobile asset management solutions business that's listed on both the Johannesburg and New York stock exchanges. Brendan is also the managing director of Mix Telematics African Business. And among other things, I'll be chatting to him about how his company harnesses a software as a service delivery model to deliver solutions to customers in more than 120 countries around the world. We'll also chat about how AI and machine learning is impacting the company's overall strategy and how he deals with the challenge of growing the firm's African business in hugely varied markets across the continent. But before we get to all that, we'll cover the week's news headlines, which include Safaricom dealing with a licensing faux pas around the recently launched Little Cab's ride-sharing service, uh, the official news of Andela co-founder Ian Aboyeji leaving the firm to launch a payment startup, and why Combinator's plans to head to Nigeria to see how they can plug into the local tech ecosystem. That's all coming up, but do remember that if you've missed any of our past episodes, you can catch up anytime you like by clicking through to africantechroundup.com. And of course, we love to hear from you. So do give us a shout on Twitter using the handle at African Roundup or send us a post on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Of course, if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can write us an email or send us an audio note via the email address hello at africantechroundup.com. But before we properly get started, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by our Quick Chats podcast series, which features brief and some not-so-brief conversations with leading pros working the trenches of Africa's tech and innovation scene. Think startup founders, VC players, and corporate movers and shakers who offer insights into what it's like to operate at the coalface of African innovation. We're talking people like Babu Sinyoni, the Cape Town-based Zimbabwean digital all-rounder who is digital creative group head at South Africa's number one ranked through-the-line agency, MNC Sachi Abel. He somehow manages to survive on just three hours of sleep a day. But what I noticed following you on Snapchat is that you stay up quite late, man. Is this... Am I getting old? Uh, (laughs) What the heck? Like, you don't seem to get enough sleep and yet... When I look at your body of work and the stuff you put out on a regular, I can't, I can't understand how you, you, you know, you fit in so much. There's so little sleep and, and still get so much done. Um, yeah, I think I'd put it to what happened in 2014, 2015. I decided to just like branch out of my career and focus more on digital. So what that included um, ultimately was a lot of late nights of just like learning and and also like working as well. So I started sleeping at 4 a.m. every single night, like on weeknights and waking up at seven and my body just got used to the cycle of three hours of sleep so yeah yep chats with super smart often sleep deprived innovators like babusi are all waiting for you to discover on our soundcloud account at soundcloud.com forward slash african tech roundup just click on the quick chats playlist when you get there and now it's on to this week's news first up two kenyan startups m survey and aneza are the newest beneficiaries of the Safaricom Spark Fund. Now, the $1 million US dollar fund aims to provide access 
to finance, mentorship, and resources to tech enterprises in Kenya that can use all the help they can get to scale their businesses. Now, eligible startups receive between seventy-five and two hundred and fifty thousand U.S. dollars. Uh, M Survey is a mobile data collection tool that collects market research data via SMS on behalf of businesses looking to understand their customers better or improve their products and services. Aneza, on the other hand, is a mobile e-learning platform that primary and secondary school students can use to access quizzes, mini lessons, textbook material, and teacher support. It also sends reports to teachers and parents on students' performance. Now, the platform is said to have 527,000 users and 17,000 teachers signed up so far. Also, over 1 million lessons are said to have been taken via the platform and users are charged just one cent per week to use the service. Pretty impressive stuff and certainly worthy of the kind of attention they're getting from Safaricom. But staying with news involving Safaricom, it turns out that Kraft Silicon and Safaricom's so-called Uber killer, Little Cab, will have to drop the word cab from the brand Little Cab because someone else beat them to registering the Little Cab trademark. As a result, Safaricom and Kraft Silicon cannot trade in that name. Now, the app has since had an update and is is now known, at least for now, as Little, as opposed to Little Cabs. Um, this after the trademark holder went to court and sought relief. Now, Kraft Silicon CEO Kamal Budabati uh, mentioned that they developed the app within a month. Uh, and basically, his his take is they, you know, they did it in a rush and... It's clear that someone didn't do all the necessary due diligence before launching the service. Uh, Note to self, tear a leaf out of my phone's playbook and trademark anything of importance before you go to market. To Nigeria next, we're following weeks of speculation about why Facebook didn't acknowledge the co-founder role of Andela's Yunolua Aboyeji when the Chan Zuckerberg uh, initiative made a high-profile investment in the talent accelerator some weeks ago. Ian is now saying goodbye to Andela. Uh, the startup he, of course, co-founded in 2014, uh, which has since become one of Africa's better-known startups thanks to the, that massive investment led by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative they attracted recently. Ian says he's leaving to focus on growing a business called Flutterwave, a, a payments platform that aims to provide end-to-end solutions in order to overcome the challenges facing payments processing services on the continent. Now, in an email he sent to his team at Andela, Ian explained that he's hoping to make life easier for operators in the payment space well, in the case of Nigeria at the moment, there's just three to work with. Uh, <laughs> uh, nevertheless, uh, he says this is something he's been looking forward to doing uh, for some time. He says that it's something he felt he could no longer ignore and has decided to do something about. We certainly wish him well. I'd imagine he'd still have some shares at Andela. If he's smart, he'd probably hang on to at least some because I have a feeling they're going places. Nevertheless, uh, <laughs> that's just speculation on my part. We certainly wish him well. Staying with Nigerian news, one of Silicon Valley's most well-respected accelerator programs, Y Combinator, is said to be planning a high-profile visit to the country. Of late, a handful of African startups have made it into Y Combinator's three-month seeding and acceleration program. Startups like Tress, Paystack, uh, Coo Hustle, and more recently, Ian Aboyeji's startup, Flutterwave. Now, it turns out 30% of the startups accepted into Y Combinator's program this year were from outside the U.S. And to build on this momentum... Uh, the folks at Y Combinator plan to visit 11 countries around the world come this September to meet with startup founders and learn more about how they can plug into various international startup communities. Now, Nigeria is the only African country on their list so far, 
Their plan is to participate in several different events in Abuja and Lagos while they're in the country. Uh, that certainly should be fun. Some of those uh, events include Startup Friday on September 23rd in Lagos. Uh, there's a fireside chat scheduled with some Y Combinator partners on September 24th, also in Lagos. And then two office hour sessions, uh, one at Yaba in Lagos on September 26th and another in Abuja on September 27th. Some of the venues are yet to be confirmed, uh, but I'm sure this is going to create quite a buzz in Nigeria. Do let us know what, how you feel about this, Nigeria. Are you excited? Tell us how you feel on Twitter, at African Roundup. To Ghana now, where the AfriLab's annual gathering, hosted by the iSpace Foundation, is set to happen in Accra, Ghana, come this October. It's expected to bring together hub managers, startup founders, and local developer communities from over 20 African countries. Now, AfriLab's is a pan-African network of technology innovation hubs in Africa, which connects tech hubs with investors and entrepreneurs. It provides support through financing, mentoring networking opportunities, and other resources for high-potential entrepreneurs. Now, the gathering aims to bring innovators from across Africa's ecosystem under one roof to share ideas around what it takes to support innovation on the continent. Now, meanwhile, in Santa and South Africa, preparations are on track for Demo Africa 2016 to go down between August 25th and the 26th. Now, it's, of course, hosted by Lions Africa. And so far, the event has a killer speaker and mentor lineup that includes the likes of seasoned technology investor and ABAN Angels president, Tommy Davies, uh, Nest VC managing partner for Africa, Aaron Fu, and uh, South African serial web entrepreneur, Vinnie Lingham, just to name a few. Now, there'll definitely be more updates on this particular event over the next couple of weeks, which will be hosted in Southern Africa for the very first time since it launched in 2012. And so we're really excited about that. And finally, the city of Johannesburg in South Africa is calling on software developers to help in mapping out the rural and informal settlements in the city. Now, what's been coined the GeoJosie Challenge is aimed at developers with an interest in apps, maps, and urban development. The challenge is hoping to find innovative ways to get these otherwise unknown areas on the map, quite literally. So this year's initiative is being run by the city in partnership with WITS University's Jobic Center for Software Engineering, the JCSC, as well as map software company Esri South Africa. Now, the lack of physical addresses has led to some interesting innovations in this particular space, with players such as Oki and Upnext coming in to fill the gap. Now, I reckon the biggest benefits will be in, in the planning and logistics space. I mean, service delivery could be a lot easier once we start to understand what needs to be done where. And uh, I imagine there are a lot of efficiencies that can be achieved once that's established. And those are the week's headlines, folks. Now, as promised, I'm going to play you a snippet from a chat I had with Brendan Horan. Now, he's an executive vice president of Mixed Telematics, a fleet and mobile asset management solutions business that's listed on both the Johannesburg and New York stock exchanges. Now, Brendan is also the managing director of Mixed Telematics Africa. And among other things, he spoke to me about how his company harnesses a software as a service delivery model to deliver solutions to customers uh, across the world. And uh, he touched on how AI and machine learning is impacting the company's strategy and also how he deals with the challenge of managing growth on the continent, given the hugely varied needs of the markets he looks after. Take a listen. Let's talk about Mixed Telematics now. Um, very big business. I think 120 countries, correct me if I'm wrong, 120 countries you guys are in listed on two continents uh, in South Africa on the JSC, I believe in the New York Stock Exchange as well. 
Um, just, I mean, I could list all the crazy numbers that sort of just validate the fact that you're, relatively speaking, a monster uh, in, <laughs> in the field. Um, explain to a 10-year-old what it comes down to in terms of what mixed telematics does. Like, what are you guys here to do? Okay, so if I could just split it into two. So I'm lost. I'm 10. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll speak slowly as well. So I think, um, so what do we do? We, I, th I think certainly in the consumer market and it crosses over into the, into the corporate market, we, we protect consumers in and around their vehicles. Um, so we, we find stolen cars and we, we make people safe in their vehicles, their families, their loved ones and everyone else. We look after them. That's really good. I have to say, I thought you were going to struggle with this. I thought I was going to interrupt you every two seconds and go, come on, I don't know what that means. Then, and I think our learnings out of that also then extend us into the commercial market. So if I was talking to a 10-year-old, I mean, I'd use exactly the analogy. You know, we, we empower the transport companies to make sure the food is fresh in the shops, to make sure the milk doesn't go off, to make sure there's, uh, there's fuel at the garages, also to make sure that those, those, those trucks and vehicles that are delivering are driven safely and they're not having accidents to make sure people properly maintain those, those vehicles. So, so what are we doing? We're providing sort of a level of efficiency and we want to make safer roads. And so typically, uh, in terms of your business development cycle, typically who are you engaging with within, within corporations? It, within corporations first and again, with, uh, and how do you engage with end consumers if, if at all? So, so I'll just again. So, on 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 the in the business side, so the corporation side, uh, certainly in the private environment, we we like to speak to the owner. We can provide tangible savings for what we do. So, talking to the owner, financial director, is critical for us. Um, you know, we we sort of consider our our business to business deployments to be large enterprise kind of deals. So, we want to talk to the senior decision makers. Often, we do start at at, at sort of the lower ends of the organisation, maybe through a, a fact finding kind of process. But we do like to get into to the boardrooms and show people what we can do. Uh, at a consumer level, we talk directly to the consumers. We do work through intermediaries, so be it you know buying a car at a motor dealership, talking to your insurance company, talking to other other places in the market where you might find us at the point of sale. We we deliver our message to those consumers, and it's around personal safety and security. And so, in that uh, context, are you going to market as a white label partner, uh, back end, and allowing those? you know, intermediaries to sell via their brands? So no, it's a sell-through strategy. So we carry our own brands. So our brands are Beamy, uh, Matrix, and then we, we trade in the business environment under mixed telematics. So we use essentially the intermediary promotes our brand, may promote other brands as well, but generally speaking, they promote the features, products, and services that we sell. And, and, and that gets taken to market that way. We do have pull-through strategies, so we go above the line onto television, onto radio, uh, sponsoring events, and getting our brands out there. So there's brand association that the customer has when they are sitting in front of that intermediary, which maybe helps you in the sale or helps you from a brand perception level. Uh, and in the corporate market, we, we like to direct sell, um, and or we take product to market through resellers. So there might be an element of, of mixed brand through resellers where we provide a wholesale market, uh, a wholesale sort of strategy, uh, empowering other businesses to deliver value into, into the corporate market. Otherwise, we do deal directly. So that would be our salespeople sourcing leads, finding places where we can add value and, and closing those deals. And in terms of developing the, the uh, technology to support delivering on all these mandates and, and, and the business you try and do, how much of that is in-house? Do you have a small army of 
for software developers uh, developing uh, new ideas. Uh, how much of the work you do is proprietary? Do you outsource it? So generally, Mixed Telematics owns its own ecosystem. So we've got a team of people down in Cape Town who, where we have software and hardware engineers. So we produce our own hardware and software. Uh, we do third-party source certain things, but not core to the, the actual platform or, um, or ecosystem. So we like to own that um, so that we've got control over it. And so, no, we, we build our own intellectual property. We own it all ourselves. And we like to think we've competed very favorably globally. What do you make of this uh, in, in modern uh, trend towards, I suppose, I, I don't want to use the word disruption, but really it is, uh, but it's, it's, not it's not typically disruption. It's, it's large corporates like you, like, like yours, that um, are not staying in their lane, that don't, are no longer content, out of necessity at, at most times, uh, to, to remain, say, one thing say a logistics business or a security business or a mobile telco or a social media platform if you're facebook um what sort of pressures strategically does that put on you to in in, in thinking about the next five years the next 10 years yes i think you've got to constantly monitor you know where you are and 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 the applicability of your products in your various markets so i don't think we would discount adding to our portfolio uh, the reality is our core portfolio is still is still working for us very well, and we are continually adding so so whilst we haven 't taken a complete direction change that you may have mentioned you know in one of your other analogies, the reality is we continually build value out around um, around what we do. You know our business started with sort of a core telematic platform. We now offer additional software which may make companies more efficient, um, it may add to their security, and we do build out those applications and services and keep adding to that. I know you're a big fan of the trend towards the Internet of Things, machine learning, and that kind of thing. This is going to be interesting now. Uh, I mean, a lot of interesting things happening in more developed markets in the U.S. Um, driverless cars, I believe, are going to come online a lot sooner than even I thought at some point. Uh, you know, we could be seeing drone-delivered food to supermarkets. We could be seeing all sorts of things that uh, probably didn't exist in '96 when when Mix, you know, began. Uh, how, how is Mix Telematics? positioning to be part of that move and not be made redundant by perhaps robots that need you know that can essentially crunch numbers and, and do everything we humans have been doing for a while yeah so i think you know i i have my own views on the on the pipeline to driverless cars and and certainly driverless trucks i think it might take a little bit longer than we think but tell me why tell me why let's pause there we'll come back to, to my original question what i'm interested what, what what's what's your idea around that pipeline yeah so i also read the literature and i think you know people are are conflicted in terms of what they think is coming sooner or later, but you know I think uh, the you know draw the analogy of a of a thirty five ton truck going down Fenrenen's Pass. Um, it it you might be able to get into a healthy debate as to what's what's safer that being driverless or having a driver with it. But um, I do think we've got some way to go before the world will accept a vehicle that isn't driven at a regulatory kind of level. I think, you know, maybe taxi cabs and things like that may start the process. So, you know, but our, our products and services, drivers are an important part of them, but we also look at efficiency, safety, security, and other aspects. So so even if you're a passenger on a on a driverless bus, for example, in the future, someone's still going to need to know that that bus is being 
sort of monitored, the software is being assessed somehow, uh, you know, is that bus on the right route, is it safe, uh, is it being driven properly, even if it's by the machine, because, you know, we all know things can go wrong, you know, so so I, I do feel, you know, we, we are transitioning our, our business towards maybe a, a different world where, where we'll become less reliant on making hardware to deliver information to our back end of software, but our business is primarily a software as a service business, and we have really tipped the focus into delivering services through the software. So, you know, so I think, I think as that evolution unfolds, we'll look for places where we can position, uh, be it in a driverless car, you know, be it in a driverless truck. But I do think we've got some time to go before the world can get its head around, um, you know, big loads, big things being carried by, by, by a vehicle with nothing in it. Okay, so here's the thing. Let, let's imagine for a moment this future was tomorrow. How would that disrupt your model currently? So I think, I think um, you know, potentially for us, we – one of one of the pillars in our business is to work with the drivers. So I think, um, but the software and technology we've developed over the years understands how a vehicle should be driven. And I think that can also be applied then to assess the vehicle as to how it's being driven, even if it's being driven by a computer or being routed or scheduled, um, you know, in, in that way. I think also there are a lot of other aspects to um, you know, to our business from a compliance, a safety and security aspect. Um, and, and certainly, you know, even if, as I say, if you're a, if you're a passenger in a bus and uh, getting brought back from school and, and your mom or dad wants to see where you are and where you're dropping at the bus stop, our software and services can provide, that, provide them with that information and the assurance as to how the bus has been driven. Um, so, so, yes, we'll have to reposition. I think we've, we've still got quite a long aftermarket to go, and, and, and the world is at various stages of, of age of vehicle and vehicle park. But, you know, I think we also relied on um, to, to, to make those strategic decisions and to innovate around where it's going. You know, we know tech doesn't stand still, and we're not naive to think that what we make today will always sell uh, in 20 or 30 years' time. But I think it's uh, to take our, our learnings and, and the innovation we have and to move with the industry as opposed to just staying in one place. And if, you'd, if you could tell me the biggest disadvantage to mix telematics being the size you are, as big as you are, as established as you are, as well-resourced as you are, if there was one disadvantage in, that, in, the context, in the context of everything we've been discussing, what would you say that disadvantage would be? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we, we don't feel we're by any means in a, in a mature market. So, you know, globally, the telematics penetration is still very, very low. So, so we're not quite at that massive stage where you have to, where, where that's becoming an encumbrance to us. I think, you know, you've mentioned we, we're present in 120 countries. We've probably got owned offices or, or our own presence in about eight countries uh, where, we, where we focus on, on growing our businesses. And then the rest of the countries, we take our market, our product to market via, via reseller channel. But um, I don't think we, we, we're quite there yet. Um, you know, I think there, there are certainly smaller players. There are bigger players. But we still consider ourselves small enough to be nimble, uh, large enough to have a global presence and a global brand. As, as you mentioned earlier, we, we've got a listing both in Johannesburg and in New York. So, so we've got sort of a global presence and a global credibility. Um, we, are, 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 we would like to potentially have the problem you've just painted. I, I don't feel that we are, we, are, we are big, certainly not big enough yet. We have far more grander plans in terms of where we want to take the business from a subscriber vehicles under management level. So, so really that, that, that size to hindrance is not there yet. Right, so back to the machine learning point I made earlier. Uh, is it really far-fetched to think of a, a future where, I mean, all my route planning, my optimization, my, my fleet management, uh, my uh, uh, 
anything to do with the optimization of of a fleet, uh, my, my, you know, my uh, retail system or my, my supply chain, uh, everything could potentially be managed or, or, or taught to a machine to manage. Is it is it a little far fetched? Is it an oversimplification? Is it someone who clearly doesn't understand just how complicated it must be to 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 do what you guys do here at Mix? No, so I mean, on that side, we are doing it with software already. So, so we don't have people sitting drawing pictures about where vehicles must stop. We've built algorithms and we've built methodologies so that vehicles travel to the right point first, move to the next point, and, and are optimized. So, so, so that that already exists. Um, you know, I think there's, there's been quite a big drive for competitive advantage, and and kind of that kind of thing has has really driven efficiency into transport and logistics businesses. Not a lot of it is done. Um, you know, there are people who need to understand the industry and who need to walk out into the yard and and find the right vehicles and just do a little bit of uh, assessment. But largely, the computers are driving um, are driving those businesses from a planning perspective uh, and from an efficiency perspective. Those decisions aren't being taken by people. Yeah, you've got a driver behind the wheel and you've got operators in a control room and and they might be fulfilling various functions but but certainly the there is already a lot of intelligence applied into the tech that makes our customers lives easier and so typically that sort of uh, ability to del- to deliver on that would have been concentrated in in a few people in in the past but i think the mobile factor is showing you know the likes of uber for example are showing that you can actually piggyback off a lot of very hard work and, and, and blood, sweat, and tears of people who have come before and basically create something uh, quite, you know, quite uh, impressive on top of that without the, the crazy amount of cost invested in, in you know, in, in de- developing the infrastructure, et cetera. Uh, do you see those kind of things as potential threats to the way you've done business? No, in a way, I almost see that, you know, that is the mindset we have here. So, you know, we, we currently have a world where we, where we supply onboard computers and we supply software. Uh, I think as we transition, we'd, we'd like to see a world where we were not hardware dependent and we could run exactly light, like call it an Uber kind of, kind of business, where you are providing actionable intelligence through your software um, without having the, the encumbrance of hardware. So, in other words, taking information out of vehicles, assets, whatever other type of, you mentioned the Internet of Things, other type of information providers, putting that all together and, and, and making, making decisions on behalf of people to give them competitive advantage, improve safety, improve efficiency. That's, that's a world we see. So I think we, we're quite wired into that kind of development. Uh, you know, we love to see things like Uber and these kind of things unfold because they do drive everyone's innovative thinking. So, so from that perspective, you know, I, I, I almost see those as complementary to where we are. Right, so let's talk about what comes with the the the, the pervasiveness of the Internet of Things. And excite, it's obviously an ex- exciting terrain for all of us, but potentially scary. I mean, given the the world we that we live in and how scary it's becoming in terms of security, man. I mean, or is that is 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 your strategy twofold in that regard? In the sense that you you could be part of the the trend, but also protect us on the back end. <laughs> Yeah, so I think if you if you sort of want to bring up the discussion around data privacy and and people's uh, people's information, you know, we take that hell of a seriously. I still think the the world has to settle down in terms of understanding, you know, who's entitled to what and who wants to give what. You know, you you certainly see the younger folk very happy to free, to freely share information. Uh, it's a lot less of a decision, and, and other you know, and other sort of the, the older folk are, are slightly skeptical about it. They've sort of lived through the change, whereas whereas the younger folk uh, have sort of grown up 
in the change. So, so I think, um, you know, certainly from a customer's perspective, we, we certainly don't take that for granted. I think no tech business does and no tech business should. It is a very important thing because, you know, whilst, you know, one of your customers might think one way, another might think another. So, so you know, being able to being able to work with the differing mindsets of of people around the globe is, is very important. But you know, privacy is high up on the agenda. Uh, data protection is very very high up on the agenda. So all of all of those kind of mega trends, I think, still need to settle. But you know, I think the world will change in terms of in terms of. Uh, in terms of people's opinion and, and also in terms of the necessity to ensure things are secured properly. And where do you think the burden for keeping ourselves safe should, should lie uh, principally? Um, on the consumer like me or on the likes of Facebook who are essentially rolling out blue internet uh, around the world? And I mean, where do you stand on some of these issues in terms of is it a hard line for you or are you happy to see where things evolve? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me, any healthy relationship has a bit of work on both sides. So, so I think, uh, you know, even, you know, in, in, in the customer service environment, you know, you get your, you get your best, your best results when both parties are working together. So I don't believe it lies with some, some, you know, in, in particular, in one camp only. I think a lot of the cases we get are sort of these single camp scenarios where, where someone, you know, suddenly either attacks a, 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 one of these, one of these large tech businesses as a result of something happening. I do think you need to be vigilant on the, on your personal side. And equally, I think the companies have an obligation. So I think it's, it's, it's active communication from both sides to make sure you get to a place where both parties understand exactly what, what they're trying to achieve and what the implications are. I think, for consumers just to be naive that 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 you know your service provider facebook whoever will just take care of it i think is um i think it's a naive view i think you need to know yourself all the implications of what you're dealing with uh, at a privacy level right so let's talk about the the region you manage uh africa which is a huge continent <laughs> and i'm going to ask you a question that i ask a lot of Afri heads of of business um especially heads of business africa i mean some you do get like heads of sub-saharan africa etc um okay firstly let, let, let me let me ease into it by asking what sort of contribution the region makes in terms of revenue to the overall global business yeah, so we, you know, we we contribute significantly to the turnover and, and and to the size and scale of mixed telematics. So you know, we this is where the business started, and our strategy is to grow the business globally. So you know, this has been sort of the the foundation of our growth. Uh, you know, from '96 to where we are today. So you know, I think um, without without going into too much. Um, uh, uh, numerical stuff, you know, our annual reports and everything are available. We break it down all segmentally. But Africa is important to us. Uh, it always has been. Um, you know, I think, you know, as we grow, and our intentions are to grow aggressively offshore, um, I think you'll, you'll see the centricity of the business certainly change over time. We've got a big business here. Uh, the market in South Africa is a big market, telematics sort of, it's one of the oldest telematics markets, whereas in other places of the world we see great opportunity for exponential growth. What does someone sitting in Guinea-Bissau say? Some, and I'm using that as quite a relatively random example of the diversity we have on the continent. What sense could you give someone sitting there that they're part of your strategy? Well, I mean, I can give you the guy's name. His name's Diakita. Nice, nice, nice. That I didn't see that coming. And we could phone him right now, and I think he'll give you a he'll give you a very, very good, um, uh, uh, you know, breakdown of what Mix has done for him in business uh, and how he's been able to deploy our products and services 
uh, into his customers, and um, be it you know be it large multinational oil companies right down to 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 small businesses in the area. So you know we're a relationship business. I've been doing business on the continent for twelve years. We know these people with names and faces. We organise regular interactions and events. I've got a team of guys who travel the continent uh, regularly, spending a lot of time in country. Uh, yeah, so so you know we we know names and faces in in countries in Africa. Our products are deployed extensively, and um, and yeah, we 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 certainly we we, we like it. And so uh, you've actually led you know beautiful segue into what I want to talk about. I mean, uh, South African companies have been having, or South Africa based companies have had, uh, you know, problematic PR. I'm, I don't know how else to put it, but. Um, this the sense that uh, you know South Africa is apart from the rest of the continent and uh, considers the rest of the continent sort of one big market and and that kind of thing. Um, do, do you see that as a as a, as a problem? I, I, I certainly sense that it has been, but it might be changing. What do you think? Yeah, so it's an interesting one, you know, because it you know we do classify our sort of divisional functions here as South Africa and rest of Africa, and uh, when I do travel, you do not seriously. Uh, when I do travel, I, I have I have come under uh, um, had some interesting discussions about that. But but you know certainly it's not the way we treat it uh, physically. We we take a lot of effort to work in all the different countries. A uh, big focus on in in around the East African region, which is very exciting at the moment. Um, sort of the West is 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 a a little bit more of a challenge at the moment. I think some of the the commodity countries are struggling for forex and liquidity, so that's not easy. Uh, East is keeping us really really busy at the moment. So yeah, but I mean we we like to think of ourselves as a as a as a African continental business. Um, you know, South Africa, you know, we it led the way. Uh, you know, but uh, we've learned a lot from doing business here, and we want to certainly deploy that uh, deploy that into the continent as to, into as many customers as possible. I would have thought that cloud computing would set, uh, you know, at least the um, uh, cloud computing would would uh, set the sa- stage for scale. You know, you guys scaling quite quite rapidly into the rest of the continent. Or is is this an infrastructure issue? Uh, what what would you say are the biggest hindrances to you guys rolling out and becoming as big a business here as as big a business say in Egypt as you are here? Yeah, so I think. Um I think we've crossed a few of the scalability issues. You know, years ago, um, you know, certainly there was very little connectivity. And then as the, cell, as the cell phone networks rolled out in Africa, it really opened up our life. You know, our product works on the back of GSM technology. So as in, you know, at the time it was sort of Zane on the east, and then you've got the MTNs the, and all the other providers down the west. As they grew, it really assisted us. We, we used to sell home-based solutions where customers sort of ran their own ecosystem on site. But very early on, Mix took a cloud-based view. Um, and as those countries rolled out, we tried transition to the cloud. So so we've been in the cloud in Africa since probably since early 2007. Um, and and so we are we are uninhibited by connectivity. Uh, connectivity is actually pretty good where, where where we are. I think I think you know the adoption has sort of been slightly slower. Uh, and also you know the, the consumer markets are, are pretty weak. The, the theft issues don't exist uh, in, in Africa like they do in South Africa. So our focus is largely corporate. Um, and and that sort of started with the large global multinationals, and that's filtering into uh, sort of the local privates 
and 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 growing quite nicely. So you know we um, we have a view that Africa will continue to grow. Um, we positive about it, and and it's proving to to be working out for us quite nicely. Many many thanks to Brendan Horan of Mixed Telematics. To listen to the full conversation I had with Brendan, you can click on the link in the tweet pinned to the top of my Twitter profile. My handle on Twitter is at Masugu Andile, or just head to SoundCloud.com and search for Staying Secure with Brendan Horan. That's Staying Secure with Brendan Horan. Now, once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup was brought to you by our Quick Chat podcast series, which features brief and some not-so-brief conversations with leading pros working the trenches of Africa's tech scene. Now, think startup founders, VC players, and C-suite executives who offer insights into what it's like to operate at the coalface of African innovation efforts. Simply head to our SoundCloud account at soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup and click on the Quick Chat playlist. And that is it for this week. Uh, Catch the show again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com. It drops at 9 a.m. Central African time. Until then, I'm Andile Masugu signing off. Do take it easy, Africa. Thank you.